I tell you, I appreciate the music. Didn't you enjoy that just a little while ago? Music is what uh, theologians would call a common grace. And that's because music is given to us by God, and it's His grace by which we can enjoy music, but He gives it to everybody. Sort of like the, the rain falls upon the just and the unjust, so too music is given to the just and the unjust, but it is God's gift to us. It makes us uniquely human, among other things, but uh, music is uniquely human. Uh, I know what you're saying. You're saying, well, what about the songbirds? The birds in the morning, they're singing to each other. You know what they're saying as they're singing to each other? Basically, they're saying, this is my territory, keep out. <laughs> or they're saying, what are you doing tonight? <laughs> I hate to put it that way, but that's all they're doing. That, you know, that, but but for, you know, what human beings do is we take our words and then we set them to music. I mean, uh, you go to the most primitive tribe in the world and... Uh, at least somebody in that tribe has figured out that there's a hollow log and a stick, and if they hit the log with the stick, it makes a nice sound. And so they're beating on the log, and then they figure out, if I do it in a certain pattern, why, that would be neat. So they invent rhythm. And then they find out that there are different kinds of hollow logs, and some of them are real high and some of them are real low, and they can play different lo logs back and forth, and now you've got rhythm and melody. And then they figure out, if I can hit one log and change the tune, I can hit two logs at the same time, now you got harmony. So that, that's, that's my theory, musicologists may disagree, but that's my theory about how um, uh, music comes into being. And it basically has those three elements, rhythm, uh, harmony, well, melody, and harmony. Uh, in today's music, it's hard to find some of that, but it, it, it'll be there somewhere. Uh, those three aspects of music, and it's a great gift of God to us, uh, particularly as we come together to worship. Um, you know, in uh, my tradition, in, in the Baptist tradition, uh, we didn't always sing songs. When we started out, we were rather stick in the buttish, uh, and you know, don't, <laughs> yeah, you find it hard for me to be stick in the butt. But, uh, <laughs> but the, uh, the, the, the thing is, the, the earliest Baptist, you know, you don't sing, that's devil's music, you know, that's awful stuff. You know, even Martin Luther had to fight to get the organ into church uh, and things like that. And then we said, oh, well, it's okay to sing, but you got to sing the Psalms out of the Bible. You can't have man-made music, we can only sing God-made music. So we'll sing only the Psalms. And then they figured out, well, actually, we can, we can talk to one another and we can, we can bear witness and testimony and glorify God together. They're, poetry and so and then um, you know the the modern concept of hymns came along so Baptist sort of came into it slowly but now we're a singing group we like uh, to sing and uh, I grew up singing grew up in the church uh, singing it's uh, it's a great experience you know sometimes Debbie and I will go to um, uh, another church when we're off on a Sunday and we'll visit and, uh, and uh, it doesn't happen so much anymore because I, I don't know the songs anymore I know the songs here but usually you go to some other church and they're either um, writing their own songs and so you don't know those songs or for some, whatever reason I don't know the songs much. but back in the olden days um, you know you'd go to church and you stand there and you would sing the hymns and of course growing up in church you know the hymns you know the bass line and, and, uh, and so forth and Debbie would stand next to me and she would sing and invariably after the singing was over somebody in front of us would turn around and turn to Debbie and say that was beautiful you just have a beautiful voice you're wonderful. It's just so lovely. I love your singing. Then they look at me. 
We're praying for you. But you know, singing is a great experience uh, when we come together like that. Uh, God's people have always been a singing people. That's not true of all religious uh, cultures. Islam is, is uh, very much bereft of, of worship music in worship. They, they have sacred songs and, and pop singing songs and things, but, uh, uh, but in, in the worship, it's not so much uh, singing. It's, it's more uh, reciting Quran and things like that. But, but Christians and, and, and our, our forebears in the Jewish tradition always have been a singing people. Uh, you remember that the children of Israel, when they came out of Egypt and uh, they crossed the Red Sea and they had that marvelous deliverance, the book of Exodus says that they sang a song to God and they sung that, I will praise the Lord for his, you know, for his deliverance. And, and so they, they sang their praises, they sang their thanksgiving uh, to God. Uh, sometimes King Saul would get in a blue mood and whenever he was sort of down in the dumps, he would call in David and have David play uh, some music for him to soothe him, and that would help for a little while. Saul could still get cranky after that. But, the, you know, for a while, the, you know, while he was playing the music, uh, David's music would help Saul feel better. David, um, very much, um, the author of many of the Psalms in the book of Psalms, the hymn book of believers, um, there you find uh, countless expressions of singing praise to God, come, you know, with thanksgiving and singing into the courts of, of God's presence. So, a lot of singing going on there. On the night in which he was betrayed, Jesus, after giving his disciples that beautiful way to remember the meaning of the cross with his broken body and his shed blood, it says, and after they had eaten together and before they went out, they sang a hymn. One of the last things Jesus ever did in his earthly ministry was to sing a hymn with his friends. Singing was very much a part of the life of the early church. Paul and Silas, uh, when they were arrested and thrown into prison, they were not just in jail, they were in the inner jail, they were in jail jail, and uh, they were shackled and manacled and there in the prison. Um, they uh, uh, were complete darkness, and they started singing. The Bible says they were singing hymns. Now, one of the things that, that the hymns would do is it, it would encourage one another, just sort of keep your spirits up, let's, us uh, heist a tune and sing, but, but more importantly, they were recognizing that God is to be praised in every area of life. You know, you might be in the innermost prison, you might be in the deepest darkness, but there God is to be praised and God is to be worshipped. And so they were singing hymns of praise to God. And the scripture says the other prisoners were listening. They were listening to something they never expected to hear, the beauty of music offered up to God in the midst of the dark depths of prison. And of course, when we get to heaven, the book of Revelation tells us that around the throne are the angels and the creatures and the elders, and, and they're always singing stuff. Um, but it, it, it says that when we get to heaven, we're going to sing a new song. It'll be a song about Jesus. It'll be a song about how he is worthy because he has shed his blood for us and he has purchased our salvation and we will sing the praises of Jesus. That's what you and I, one of the things at least that we're going to do for all eternity. We're going to sing the praises of God. I've got good news for you. Up in heaven, there are no sermons. <laughs> but there is a choir. 
and we will sing and sing and sing the praises of God. So music is, is God's wondrous gift to us. It is it's something he has given to us that, that enables us to come together and to worship together, to, to encourage one another. Um, I don't know it, if you're familiar. You know some of the old hymns. It, it, you know, it, it, I, I, I wish you, you'd all had the the opportunity to experience the old hymns. Uh, some of them were actually terrible. Um, they, they were just awful, and, and some of them downright heretical. But there were other hymns that you just needed to hear from time to time, to sing to one another. Things like, um, "Ere you left your room this morning, did you stop to pray?" And to just challenge one another to pray. Uh, to remind each other that his eye is on the sparrow. And I know he watches over me. To sing to one another that this is an amazing grace. And oh, the sound of it is so sweet. And the song that we still sing is uh, that how marvelous, how wonderful. You know, I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus so, you know, songs do this for us. That's, that's what singing does. That, that's why we sing together. Um, it's because that's what human beings do. And that is how we find people in the Bible honoring and glorifying God. And it's one of the things that Paul will encourage the Ephesian readers to do when they are filled by the Spirit. He says, one of the things I want you to do is to talk to each other in hymns and songs and spiritual songs. And I want you to be making a melody in your heart to God, you know, make it, making a song to God. Uh, now, I, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, well, you know, that's, that's sort of a, a difficult thing because my music isn't that great. But look, what parent, when a little child comes up and wants to sing, doesn't stop and listen? And you know, when that, that little, little child sings, Jesus loves me, this I know, you're not thinking, you know, you're off pitch there, kid. Your, your rhythm is bad. I think you stumbled on the words. No, what are you thinking? I love this child. And when we sing to God, that's how he loves us as well. So let's turn to Ephesians chapter 5. We'll start in on verse, um, oh, we'll start in verse 18. And we'll run through the end of the paragraph at verse 21. And Paul writes, do not get drunk with wine, that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Let's bow together in prayer. Gracious Father, what a joy it is for us to gather together to worship, to sing, as we've heard so many times in the past, your songs of praises. Father, I just ask that we would ever be diligent to sing from the heart with a commitment of heart and soul, mind and strength. Father, that you would receive all of our praise and that in our praise you would receive all of the glory. Father, we worship you this hour because of your grace for us. Ask only that you would make our worship pleasing in your sight. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen like for us to pick up at the end of verse 18. We sort of talked about the front part of verse 18 a little bit last week. And uh, this morning I want for us to look at the end of that where it says, but be filled with the Spirit, having drawn out what the um, usual response of humanity is to the harshness of life.
to the fact that uh, time is limited, that we're all going to die. Um, the, the response is to anesthetize ourselves, uh, either with uh, artificial stimulants or partying, a distraction of causes, what, uh, entertainment. We just don't want to think about the reality of death. But he said instead of you know, getting drunk so you don't think about these things, be filled with the Spirit so that you do. And so that's what we're looking at this morning is being filled with the Holy Spirit. When I went to um, the university, uh, in my first couple of years there, there were folks who were Christians on campus, and they were called charismatics. I don't know if you remember that or not, but I do. Uh, but the, the charismatics were around, and uh, they were saying something like, well, you might be a Christian, and you might have Jesus in your heart, but you don't have the Holy Spirit. You don't have the Holy Spirit unless you're baptized or baptized by, by, by the Holy Spirit. You, you've got to have this experience. And if you have this experience, you'll speak in tongues and all these other things will happen. And I'm, I'm not that far along in the faith. I grew up in a Christian home, grew up in church. I did everything I was supposed to do, asked Jesus in my heart, got baptized, read the Bible. Now I'm off at college. The first time somebody's telling me, you know, that's not enough. You've got to be baptized in the Holy, Holy Spirit. You have to receive the Holy Spirit. You don't have the Holy Spirit yet. Well, that bar bothered me a little bit because you know, maybe I was missing something. I, I sure didn't want to miss anything. Uh, not that important. So um, I did know enough to turn to the Bible and start reading scriptures and find out what the Bible said. By the way, being baptized in the Holy Spirit is mentioned about seven times or so. Never once are we commanded to be baptized by the Holy Spirit. In fact, uh, you could say we're never commanded to um, receive the Holy Spirit. There is a, a possible exception to that. It's in John's gospel when Jesus appeared to the disciples after the resurrection. And he, he appeared to them and he said, peace be with you and all that kind of thing. And then he, it, the Bible says, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now what I want to point out is that when Jesus commanded them to receive the Holy Spirit, he'd already given them the Holy Spirit. He was simply announcing what was going on there but uh, the Holy Spirit, it turns out, is actually the gift of God to every believer in Jesus Christ. Uh, don't want to, uh, can't spend a lot of time on it this morning, but just real quickly in John chapter 7. And this, this sort of seals the deal as do other verses. For instance, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul writes, No one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Like verse 1, chapter 12 uh, of 1 Corinthians. And what that means is, by the, I'll get back to John in a minute. But by the, time, by the time you confess Jesus Christ as Lord, the Holy Spirit's already been at work in your life. See, the Holy Spirit has already convicted you of your sin. The Holy Spirit has already shown you the glory and the beauty of Jesus as Savior. And the Holy Spirit is up just then and giving you the courage of faith to confess Him as Lord and to accept His redeeming work on the cross. You see, so when you accept Christ, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. That's why Paul could say in 1 Corinthians, you can't say Jesus is Lord apart from the Holy Spirit. It's the work of the Holy Spirit already. So the Holy Spirit is given to every believer. But now back to John, and I want to give this to you very quickly, but in verse 37, on the last day of the feast, doesn't matter what feast, just take my word for it, it's a feast. The great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believe in him were to receive. 
For as yet the Spirit had not been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. He had not yet been crucified and raised and ascended into heaven. And at that point, then the gift of the Holy Spirit is given to everyone who believes. But did you notice there in John, he said, to everyone who believes. It doesn't say to everyone who believes the possibility of the Holy Spirit will be given. It doesn't even say to the, everyone who believes the option of the Holy Spirit will be offered. It says this is the Holy Spirit that all those who believe in Christ are to receive. This is God's gift to every believer. We're given the Holy Spirit of God, the very presence of God within us. That's what it means to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. It takes place when you receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. So if you're a believer in Jesus Christ this morning, the Holy Spirit resides within you. The Holy Spirit is already in your life. By the way, the Holy Spirit is there to seal you in your salvation One of the works of the Holy Spirit is to make you miserable when you wander off from Jesus and to give you great joy when you come back. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit. So Paul then says to these believers in Ephesus, he says, receive, not receive, be filled with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is there, but the the Spirit needs to fill up our lives, just consume our lives. He says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit is the normal experience of the Christian. Some of us feel like, well, the Holy Spirit is given to some super Christians, maybe the clergy or something, or priests, and maybe, you know, maybe super saints, they, they have the Holy Spirit, the rest of us are on our own. The Holy Spirit is the normal experience of the Christian believer. That's why Peter, on the day of Pentecost, when he was preaching the sermon, and uh, he was talking about how the prophecy of Joel was fulfilled that said that God would f- pour out his Spirit on all flesh, and, and the people then, after Peter had explained about Jesus dying for us, the people cried out, what are we to do? And Peter said, be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins in the name of the Lord Jesus, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise of, for you and for your children. So the, the Holy Spirit was promised at the very beginning of the church to all those who would believe. It is, it's, got, it's, it's just supposed to be normal which explains why Paul, when he got to the city of Ephesus, and this you find in Acts chapter 19, uh, when Paul got to the city of Ephesus, uh, there are people who said, Paul, you're too late. We already have disciples here. We already have disciples, and, you know, and so you go talk to them, but they're, they're, they're here before you. So Paul went and he found these folks, and they were, they were called disciples, but as he's talking to them, evidently something just didn't, didn't quite work out. It, it just didn't seem right to Paul. And so what he does is he, he says to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they, evidently he, he got no sense that these people were living in the power of the Holy Spirit. So did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And these disciples, so-called, they said, uh, we didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. He said, well, what baptism did you get? And they said, John's baptism, the baptism of John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist is the greatest prophet, Jesus said. There's no one greater than John in the Old Covenant. In all of the old sweep of Old Testament history, none greater than John the Baptist because John the Baptist preached the greatest sermon under the Old Covenant, and it went like this, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That was the sermon, that was the preaching of John to point to Jesus. And when John baptized people, he baptized them for forgiveness of their sins with a view to the promised coming of the Messiah. 
Now believers in Jesus Christ are baptized as a confession that Messiah has come, has died in our place, our sins taken on his shoulders on the cross, raised on our behalf, ascended into glory. And so uh, the Christian baptism is a baptism of fulfillment. John's was a baptism of promise. And so uh, when they said, we didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit, these disciples of John the Baptist, they read the Old Testament, they knew there was a Holy Spirit. They said, we didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit working in this thing. We didn't know the Holy Spirit was given like this. And so Paul explained it to them. They were baptized. They received the Holy Spirit as they confessed Jesus as Lord and as Savior. Okay. So it's, it's to be the normal experience of the believer. It's not, it's not to be something unusual. And in my opening years at the university, it, uh, it, it, it came as a great uh, eye-opening experience. It's, it's one of those things that, you, that just stick in your mind for the rest of your life. When I realized that all the things the Bible said I had to do as a Christian, I didn't have to do. The Holy Spirit would do them in me. The Holy Spirit would work through me. Now that doesn't mean I could sit back in a in an easy chair and, and eat bonbons or something. Um, but it did mean that there was hope because the Holy Spirit's at work and the Holy Spirit is doing this. And, and, and so God gets all the glory. You know, it's one of those moments when you realize, you know, it really is grace. It's grace to start, grace to finish, and grace all the way through because the Holy Spirit of God is put in the heart of every believer. So the Holy Spirit is given as the normal experience of the Christian believer. It's an experience that we must welcome and embrace. Don't be afraid of the work of the Holy Spirit. You know, a lot of times, uh, uh, you know, we're afraid of what people will say uh, because we don't want to be identified with the wrong group. That, my dad grew up in a small town in South Carolina, about 1,100 people or so. And uh, in that town, there were three churches. There was the Methodist Church, and then there was the Baptist Church, and then there was the Pentecostal Church. And uh, what you knew as a Baptist in that small town was, and Dad was telling me about it, you just don't talk about the Holy Spirit because people will think you're going over to the other side. And uh, so they, they wouldn't talk about the Holy Spirit. I'm, I'm thankful for a lot of things that have happened in, in, in the last decades of, of Christian life, and one of them is the freedom with which we speak of the Holy Spirit now because it is the Holy Spirit of God. We are set free by the Holy Spirit. So uh, we need to welcome and embrace the work of the Holy Spirit. Get excited about the work of the Holy Spirit. See, whenever you read something in the Scripture and you say, wow, I don't think I can do that. Yes, you can because of the Holy Spirit. Whenever you read something in the Scripture and you say, I, I really don't understand that the whole way, but you can apply it to your life because of the Holy Spirit. And by the way, the Holy Spirit will give you a greater understanding as you, as you just patiently read scriptures and keep thinking about things. So it, it's because of the Holy Spirit that we have the courage to press on and to live for Christ and to walk the Christian walk. See, when Paul said, receive the Holy Spirit, not receive, be filled with the Holy Spirit, that was the command that makes the rest of the book of Ephesians possible. Ephesians, you know, we started in, 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 uh, in chapter 4 and he started to talk about walk in a manner worthy of Christ. Can you be worthy of Christ? And live in a way that is wise and not unwise. Can you do that? And all the things that, that, that Paul talks about and then what he's going to talk about in, in subsequent verses after, after this one and the rest of 5 and 6, these things are impossible without this verse. Be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. But because of this verse, we can dare these great things. So it's a, it's a normal experience. It's, it, we ought to just 
know, embrace it and, and praise God and, and welcome the Holy Spirit into our lives. The Holy Spirit then must be obeyed. Now, in my life, I've noticed some things about people who are filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and frankly, this started um, in, in, in my college years when I was talking to people who had the baptism of the Holy Spirit and spoken tongues and that kind of thing. Uh, what, I, what I came to uh, realize that a lot of people who had emotional experiences were, were great at talking about their emotional experiences. But then I noticed some people who were filled with the Holy Spirit of God, and they had a spirit of service and ministry. They had a spirit that wanted to reach out and to help others and to serve in the name of Jesus and to exalt the Savior by the way that they lived before others. They weren't concerned about having you come over on their side. They were just concerned that you came to know Jesus more and more and more. See, what, what, what the Holy Spirit will do when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit gives you a love for the Son of God. Again, you won't fall in love with Jesus unless the Holy Spirit moves your heart, moves you to do so. When, when you fall in love with him, you don't, you don't go to Jesus and say, Jesus, I love you. And you know why I love you? I love you because I'm a right, clever fellow, and I figured out that you're, you're perfect and you're wonderful, and, and I'm the one who came to know that you died for people, and that's really great, and that you, you, you manifest God's plan for, for us as human beings. I figure all that out, Jesus. Now, when you come to Christ, what do you say? I love you, Lord, because of who you are. And I would not have known that, but that the Holy Spirit took the scales from my eyes, and I could see again, and I could see who you are. It's the work of the Holy Spirit in us. So when, when the Holy Spirit fills you, you'll fall in love with the Son of God, with God's Son. You'll also fall in love with God's Word. You'll, you'll have a craving and a hungering for the Scriptures. And, and in fact, that what we know about the guidance and leadership of the Holy Spirit is, is, is just made concrete and, and tangible in the words of Scriptures by reading the Bible and applying the Bible to our lives, that the Holy Spirit guides and works and, and moves us along in our lives. So you fall in love with the Word of God. You want the Scriptures. And when you have the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is filling your life, you will love the people of God. You will love church. You will love the church with all of our problems and with all of our shortcomings, with all the ways that we rub each other the wrong way, with all the times that we have to stop and, and, and reconcile and figure out, you know, things like that. The Holy Spirit will give you a love for the body of Christ, a love for the people of God. And so Paul says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, some have pointed out, and I, I think there's something to it. He says, be filled by the Holy Spirit. He doesn't say, fill up yourself with the Holy Spirit. See, even being filled by the Holy Spirit is a gift of God's grace and the work of the Holy Spirit. But um, that, that takes us down another rabbit trail. But so, he says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then in the subsequent verses, there are five uh, participles, really, um, and they are attached to the main verb, which is the verb to be filled, the imperative. And so here are five things that, that um, flesh out and draw the picture of what it looks like to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not exhaustive, but it highlights just a couple of things. Three of them are, are sort of uh, linked together, but verse 19, he says, Be filled with the Holy Spirit, addressing one another or talking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and singing and making melody and uh, to the Lord with your heart. So, so you're going to sing to each other and you're going to sing to God. Have you ever wondered what would happen if all of life had theme music to it? Had background music to it? Wouldn't that be great? I mean, uh, I took Debbie to, to a movie the other day. It, it broke a streak of uh, 
30 years in which she had not seen a movie. And so I, I took her into the theater, and she's looking around, and she says, do you mean to tell me the pictures move? On that <laughs> and uh, I, I tr as best I could, I explained it to her and all that. But, but as, as we watched the movie, you know, there, there, there was theme music going on, that, and the music sort of told us what was happening uh, in, in the story, right? Um, if, if there was a, sort of a happy, quirky character going on, it was happy, quirky music. And, and if there was, you know, like a real deep relationship, and, you know, I love you, I love you, I love you. Why are you laughing at me? When we get to heaven, my voice will be as good as yours. <laughs> Anyway, uh, and if uh, uh, you know, and if there was danger going on, there was dunum, dunum, dunum. You know, the, the danger type music. Wouldn't it be great if life had background music? Then you would know who you were talking to. Oh, quirky music. You're you're an idiot. I see. Oh, soft strings and violins. Oh, okay, that's nice. You know, danger music. Better not open that door. There's danger. You know, life would be great if it had background music. And then we could each have our own theme song. You know, you know in baseball games, they, they play a, a theme song for the batter as he comes up to play. You, you know, there's no, well, they do. Some of them do. Some of the organists do. One guy got into trouble because uh, for one player, he was always playing Baby Elephant Walk, and uh, the guy didn't like it at all. There are no Henry Mancini fans here. The, for some reason, I want to say Barry Manilow. Mozart? Anybody? <laughs> I knew him when. But uh, anyway, back to that. But, uh, I, I, oh, oh, that we had theme song. What would be the theme song for your life? And, and just, just think about it. You know, maybe you've got something from the classics going on. But what would be the hymn that would be played for you? What would be the theme praise song for your life? That's sort of an interesting song. And, and, and I'll, I'll just cut to the chase here. Think of that song and sing it all week long and see if it transforms your world. You know, wherever you go, just before you go in, you know, sing your theme song, Amazing Grace, Saved a Sinner Like Me. Or I Need No Other Argument, It's Enough That Jesus Died For Me. You know, just, just sing your song. Or, you know, I'd stand amazed in the presence. You know, whatever it is, just sing that song. Uh, and that'll be good. So uh, Paul says, addressing one another in songs, spiritual songs, singing, making melody to the Lord, singing to the Lord. We talked about that just a few moments ago. And then he says, and giving thanks. There's a whole sermon in that verse. We won't do that today. But, uh, you know, what do we do? We give thanks to God. Thanksgiving is the hallmark of the Christian. Thanksgiving is how we recognize who is God and who is not God. Thanksgiving is how we recognize that God is absolute sovereign and that all things come from him to us. And so that's what thanksgiving is. When do we give thanksgiving? It says always, you know. And for what do we give thanks? For all things. To whom do we give thanks? To the Father. How do we give those thanks? In the name of the Son. By the way, those of you who have your Trinity highlighter out, circle these verses because the Holy Spirit leads us to thank the Father in the name of the Son. So that's the work of the Holy Spirit, to bring us to the Father through the Son. And it's only in the name of the Son, only in the name of Jesus, that we can come to the Father 
at all. Next week, we'll look a little bit at, at, at what it means to be submissive and submitting to one another um, in that regard. But be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, how are you going to do that? Um, it's not an emotional experience. The Holy Spirit is not an emotion. It's not a matter of just listening to Christian music until you go bonkers. Being filled with the Holy Spirit is a decision we make every day. The Holy Spirit is present in our lives as believers in Jesus Christ, but to be filled with the Holy Spirit is a daily decision of surrender to Christ. Now, there's a situation in your life, and you're trying to deal with it on your own. You, you just, you, you, know, you know God has something to say about it, but you'd rather not ask him because you're afraid of what he might say. But if you give that over to the will of God and you give it to the sovereignty of Christ, the Holy Spirit fills up that area of your life. And then you find another one where you've been a little lazy in, in, in uh, surrendering that area and those decisions and that relationship uh, to the sovereignty of Christ. And, and you surrender that and the Holy Spirit fills up that part of your life. In other words, to be filled with the Holy Spirit is to have your whole life given over to Christ. And that's how you're filled with the Holy Spirit. When you see things in your life, they're not quite as surrendered to Jesus as they need to be. Surrender them to Christ. The Holy Spirit fills up that area of your life and gives you the power and the courage of faith to be obedient and faithful and live for the glory of God in that situation. So be filled with the Holy Spirit of God in the name of Jesus Christ. Let's bow together in prayer. Father, again, we're thankful for your work in our lives, for the gift of the Holy Spirit for the way in which you call us unto yourself and you do not abandon us. You give us not only direction, but strength and guidance. Father, you do all these things for us by your grace. And I just ask that we would make that conscious decision to be filled with the Holy Spirit, that you would have complete and total possession of us, and that everything we do and all that we say, everything that we are, would be for your glory. We ask it in Jesus' name.